I've been on quite the adventure, little brother. I reckon he's got something to do with that girl. <laughs> he's got everything to do with that little girl. Well, go on then. She's immune. Immune to what? Oh, come her, on. I know I've seen her breathe enough spores to take down a dozen men. And nothing. I wouldn't have believed it neither. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on Metacritic's top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. So how are you doing this week? Um, yeah, I'm all good, not gone mad yet, still stuck inside, but it's all fine really, not too bad, what about you? Yeah, good, I was just thinking this morning that probably this lockdown has been bit of a blessing in disguise for the YouTube channel and for the podcast. It means we've got a lot done and we're going to have to rebalance things when we're out of lockdown, I think. Yeah, whenever that is. I reckon it will be a, a few weeks and then things will start, you know, we'll be allowed to go back to work. And I know you're still working at the moment from home. Yeah. Um, I reckon I'll be back to work in the next few weeks. Um and then, yeah, I suppose it would just be back to normal and playing the games in our spare time instead of, well, for me, instead of just playing the games whenever. But yeah, it's been um, it's been productive the last few weeks, so it's it's quite good. So yeah, I've I've quite enjoyed it to be honest with you. Managed to complete Final Fantasy VII, which I probably would would have taken me a lot longer if I was still working. So yeah, um, I think I've really benefited from not having the commute to work, so that I can just switch off when it's time to switch off go into the other room and just do things that are constructive basically yeah (laughs) rather than come home and feel tired sit there for an hour do nothing make my dinner so on so on so on (laughs) okay so today we're gonna be talking about a big game um the game that we're talking about today is the last of us which was released on the playstation 3 in 2013 Now, The Last of Us is number 54 on the list, and it has a score of 95. Now, there was also a PlayStation 4 version of this game, which which released in 2014, and it has the same score of 95. So, a fairly high-rated game. I actually thought this one would be higher up on the Metacritic list, to be honest. Yeah, shame. It's, um... um... I mean, I mean, for a game that a lot of people consider to be one of the best games ever, it's um, you know having it midway down the list is a bit of a surprise. But there we are. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, so this game, I, I, I said, I said before in this podcast, I wasn't really a big um, PlayStation person until I got the PS2. That's when I really started getting into PlayStation. Um, and by the time the PS3 era rolled around, I got a 360. I sold the 360 to get a PS3. So I was very much in on PlayStation by that time. Um, and I really got into the Uncharted games, which is Uncharted 1, 2, and 3. And I was really looking forward to The Last of Us before it came out. I was keeping an eye on this game. I was watching the trailers. I thought this game looks so, so promising. It looks like the production value of Uncharted, the uh, story-heavy focus of Uncharted, but maybe a bit more 
um, variety in the combat and maybe a bit more scavenging and looking for some supplies, that kind of thing. So I was really looking forward to it. Now, as you know, when it released, I was a bit uh, disappointed with it. Um, my opinions have changed slightly, although some of my original criticisms, I think, still stand. Um, but I do understand that this is a game that is many people's favourite game ever. Um, so, what's your brief, briefly, what's your history with the game? Um, so, I'm, I'm on the opposite spectrum to you. I didn't play the, uh, the Naughty Dog games, the last of us, not the last of us, wow, get in the game. <laughs> Didn't play the Uncharted games um, up until about probably two or three years ago. So it wasn't something that I was that on board with. And as we've discussed before, you have always been a lot more up on kind of video game releases and that kind of thing over me. because I was never too much of a gamer, especially back then. Uh, and the way that I found out about this game was when we were still at uni because it came out in 2013. Uh, was one of the guys on our course, a guy called Marcus, was telling me about it. I said, oh, that sounds quite interesting. And I think I got it relatively soon after it came out. And I remember completing it and really enjoying it. And then it came out again on the PS4, as you said, a year later. And when I did get my PS4, it was one of the first games that I got for it. So I played through this game quite a few times. Um, you know, once, not long after release, and then a few more times after that. And now again for this podcast. But opposite to you, I I really enjoyed it when I first played it. I I thought it was um it was great. It wasn't in my like top 10 games of all time or anything like that, but I thought for what it was, the story, the graphics, the voice acting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's we'll, we'll get on to. I thought it was um I thought it was a really strong game from a strong studio cuz I mean my experience with Naughty Dog at the time had just been really for like the Crash Bandicoot games on the PS1 cuz like I yeah. said, I hadn't really played Uncharted up until maybe two or three years ago, so mid, uh, you know, mid 20 teens or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> Is that the official term? Yeah, 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 that's it. I mean, we're in the we're in the roaring 20s now, so we're, we're fine. We know what we're on about now, but before that, <laughs> I don't know, the noughties and then the hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so this is, this is a big one for me because I played it, I'm pretty sure I got this on release day. And I played it, uh, and I haven't touched it since then. I never bought the PS4 version until I bought the PS4 version for this um, recording, which gets us onto the version that we played. So I played it on the PlayStation Pro. Yeah, same. I played it with, um, it was in 1000, I think they called it 1800p, um, which is not 4K, but it's still pretty high. It's higher than 1080p. And I played it at close to 60 frames per second. I think there are a few dips here and there. Yeah. But um, this this was a big thing for me because uh, I think the gameplay really stands up better playing it at that higher frame rate. Um, it really was fun to play for the most part, um, which is obviously good. Now, as I said, my impressions this time, I've, I've, I've changed my thoughts slightly on this game. Um, as we'll go into, but I think probably the most logical place to start would be the story. So do you, do you want to just give an overview of what the story is? Yeah, sure. So the game is, I, I believe it starts in kind of modern time, like 2012, 2013 for when the game was released. Um, 
and you start off in Texas and it's the story well the the, the narrative starts with you controlling um, a young girl who you don't see on the front cover called Sarah and you start by kind of waking up on her dad's birthday and some cutscenes happen and you see that they're very close they have a close relationship and throughout the the prologue you see that basically there's been some kind of outbreak of an infection in the USA and a lot of people are becoming infected with this weird virus or infection or whatever it is and you play through the prologue which is I'd say about 20 minutes ish 30 minutes and at the end of the prologue Joel the main character and his daughter Sarah are trying to escape the city to get to a quarantine zone where a soldier finds them he's given the order to shoot them when Joel's brother turns up shoots the soldier uh, but the shoulder uh, the shoulder the soldier gets a few hits off and shoots Joel's daughter Sarah and the prologue ends with Joel basically crying over his his dead daughter she's been shot and she's dead the, the story okay, I just then... want to just want to stop you yeah, there um get I want to get your thoughts on this prologue um so how did you find the prologue do you think it's a good introduction yeah I, I think it's it's heavy and it's very strong and I remember at the time this came out because seven years ago when I first played it, I was watching Let's Plays and stuff on YouTube. That was something that I watched quite a lot, and we used to watch those together. And I remember the prologue for this game being a big kind of cash cow in terms of views for uh, Let's Play YouTubers because a fair few of them would play through the prologue of this game and they get to Sarah's death, and you know, you'd see quite a few people in tears. Like, it's, it's a it's a heavy scene. I think it's good. But at the same time, you also know that the girl that you're playing as at the start being Sarah isn't the same girl that's on the front cover of the game unless you don't really look at those kind of things. So you know that maybe something's going to happen here. But in my opinion, I think it was a strong start to the game and the narrative. Uh, what 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 did, you, what did you think? Yeah. Um. In terms of the girl not looking quite like um ellie does on the front of the cover i i kind of buy that but i think with video game covers over the years there have been so many that don't look like the games that are inside yeah true that there there's a margin forever there so um you never really 100 percent know especially on that first play back in 2013 mm. um and if you did know and if you did know about this game and you did know that uh, Ellie was a different character to Sarah. I think that's an even stronger bit of storytelling because it's shocking. Yeah, you know, you know what's going to happen, but you're being given the chance to play as this girl who you know, for one reason or another, does not make it through to the main game, and something's going to happen to her. So you might be enjoying it and you, you really get a chance to explore the house, which is nice. Mm. And it's one of the most detailed settings in the game, which is also nice. Yeah. Um, and you know that something's going to go wrong and you walk into Joel's bedroom and you're looking at the, the, the TV screen and then the explosion goes off outside and it really drives home the fact that this, this thing is going on nearby, whatever this thing is. We don't really know what this thing is yet. 
Um, now, I do think there are some um, kind of devices for emotional manipulation there. The fact that it's Joel's birthday, yeah. the fact that she's just bought him a watch. Mm-hmm. It, it's all a bit convenient to be happening in this, as you say, 20 minute period before the game. That being said, I think it's a really strong opening and it really sets up the game nicely. And it's probably one of the most impressive parts of this game. Um, and one of the best bits of storytelling in the game. And it really sets up Joel's character. Now, I think the preface that Joel has lost his daughter and the tragedy of that and the fact that he was close to her, even if their relationship was flawed, it's a really important bit of information for the rest of the game. Yeah, massively. It's... Uh, so do you want to just talk about uh, the next step, which is, I suppose, um, the, what's the, summer. the spring or summer chapter? Yeah. yeah. So the game split up after the prologue into four sections, summer, spring, winter, uh, summer, spring, summer, fall, winter and spring. There we go. Um, and the first chapter is summer. So after the death of Sarah, the game cuts to black and we then rejoin Joel 20 years later. And he's obviously, you know, a, a lot a lot more aged. He's a lot grizz, grizzlier. And you you kind of join him. a lot more a lot more grizzled? Yeah, grizzled, not grizzlier. Wow, I'm not with it today on my words. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, he's a lot more grizzled. And he's living in an apartment. He is then... <laughs> you laughing at Grizzled? Yeah, just keep thinking about it. He's a lot more grizzly like a bear. Um, so then this side character joins Joel called Tess. And you get the impression that Jess and... Uh, Jess... Tess and... Wow! What is going on with me today? Wow! Tess and Joel have a relationship where they've maybe done some things that you know would be frowned frowned upon we're living in a very strict police state where people are being tested for infection all the time people are being shot in the streets if they are infected and the summer portion of the game is Tess and Joel trying to find someone who's ripped them off some weapons they find this guy called uh, I think is it David? No, David is um, the character played by Nolan North later, isn't it? There's another character who they go to find who has sold their weapons to a group called the Fireflies. Now, the Fireflies are really... Robert? Is it Robert? Robert, that's it. Robert sold their guns to the Fireflies. The Fireflies are classed as like a, a group of freedom fighters, I suppose, who are trying to get things to the way they were before the infection spread out. And they're kind of the opposition to i suppose you'd say the military yeah so uh, so let's let's just dig a bit deeper there mm-hmm. so you've got the reaction to this fungal outbreak which it turns out to be it's like a fungal um, virus which yeah which is spread f- through um being bitten mm-hmm. so it's spread by saliva or fluid contact within the body it's a real um, thing as well isn't it i didn't know that yeah what's, what's, what's the story there it, it only affects um, insects, I think. But if you look on YouTube, the cordyceps infection is something that exists. And there's footage of up close of uh, like ants 
who have the infection and they have uh, fungal matter growing out of their heads and as time goes on it gets more and more prominent as you see you know in the game with um, the infected with like the clickers that the longer you're infected the worse it gets but yeah the um the infection is based on a real life thing that exists that's interesting um yeah so you've got the two different reactions to it you've got the the government reaction which is to lock people down it's very militant yeah and you've got the fireflies who are searching for a cure and they're fighting against the government now is it implied at all that the government was responsible for this outbreak i don't think so but i think if you look at different news clippings from the start of the game there's maybe an indication that this came from a lab or something like that perhaps yeah but from from a basic understanding of the game i don't think so that would be something that maybe if you really look into the law or you've got a really keen eye you would notice but from from my perspective i, I don't think that's that's implied properly anyway yeah, so the, so the government is locking people down. They, they've kind of um, initiated martial law for the safety of the uh, the residents of America. But at the same time, they're willing to carry out that letter of the law through violence. Yeah. Um, I don't think the government side of things is very well fleshed out. They're just kind of this militant force. Um, we don't really know why they're behaving the way they are. Um, the fireflies, you get you get a bit more of an idea of why they're behaving the way they are. They're searching for this cure, um, and searching for this cure means that they've got to kind of break the law. So they're kind of working against the government in that way. Um, they're like a and militia. I'll carry on. I'll carry on. Sorry, they're like a militia, aren't they? Yeah. So you've got these two militant forces that really aren't that likable no. from my perspective. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and one is calling themselves freedom fighters, and the other is calling themselves obviously they're they're the arm of the government, yeah. um, and and there are real world parallels here as to who's right. Mm, yeah. Who knows? I don't think we're given enough information to tell us who's right or who's not. Um, and just to carry on with the story for a bit, just to save you from getting names to wrong too much, <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it back to you at some point. Right. So, um, so. Tess and Joel are going along. It's not quite clear what their relationship is. No. It's very strange. There are implications, aren't there? Yeah, it, it, it's possible that it's romantic, but it's not necessarily explicitly said. Mm. Um, Tess seems to have a lot of power and a lot of clout, whereas Joel just seems to have been this newcomer that's come along. Uh, we don't really see what Tess values in Joel, but he's obviously doing something right. Yeah. And... Basically, they run into one of the fireflies and they are tasked with taking a girl called Ellie to the firefly. So first of all, it's to take it to the border of the, the city, isn't it? Yeah. And the, initially, the, just to clarify as well, that the firefly that they do meet is the head of the fireflies. Um, she's called yeah. Marlene, isn't she? Yeah, Marlene. Um, so yeah, they're set, so initially they're to take her to the border of the city um, and this is revealed to be because she is for whatever reason 
uh, immune to the infection so she could hold the key to the cure. This is never really explained in great detail as to why she's immune. Um, and they get to the, the border of the city and then they have to take her further and then they have to take her a bit further. Along the way, Tess gets bitten and she dies and she dies protecting Joel and Ellie and she tells Joel to carry on and take Ellie to the Fireflies wherever they are. Which he isn't keen um, on. Yeah, which he's not keen on. He doesn't want to do it and he's got no reason to do it. Um, but he does and she dies and... I'm going to pause it there because what was your reaction to Tess dying? It's kind of a non-death, I think, because their relationship isn't ever really fleshed out too much. It's obvious that they've known each other for quite a while, that Tess is the one that's more in control of what they do in their relationship. But because you spend quite a few hours with Tess in game when you're going through the first chapter, but... It, I don't know, it just didn't really mean anything to me, you know? No. I don't think it's enough done to flesh out Tess as a character. Now, we've all already got this kinship with Joel because we've seen this bit at the beginning which sets up yeah. our relationship with Joel. So we're kind of interested to see what happens with him. But Tess is never really given that time to develop. And she, she dies like you say, after a couple of hours, but still fairly early on in, in the scope of the game. Yeah. And I had no emotional reaction to this. So I'm not sure whether that was the intention or we were meant to feel sad for her, but I didn't feel anything for her. In fact, she'd shown herself to be not an especially nice person. She, she wasn't um, massively likable. No. Like, she, so she's I fine, was a bit curious. But meh, like, it's very neutral. Yeah, I wouldn't even describe her as fine. I just describe my, my my feelings for her as I just did not care. Fair enough. <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, so, so Tess dies. Joel gets Ellie out of the city. Um, they eventually come into a town where Joel meets someone that he's known before called Bill. And there's a long drawn out section, but ultimately they find a car and they're able to leave Bill. And they drive to Philadelphia and in Philadelphia they, they meet some really awful gangs of people that basically take advantage of the the residents that are still... Travelling. Yeah, travelling or innocent or trying to maintain their humanity and this group just takes advantage of them. Now this is all reminiscent of some of the early stuff in The Walking Dead and for that I like it. Um and eventually they, they they kind of travel through Philadelphia and they meet Sam and what's the other Henry. guy called? Sam and Henry. Yeah, so they meet Sam and Henry and they kind of escape uh, Philadelphia together Sam and, and they're going... I was going to say Sam and Henry as well, just for clarification. It, it kind of puts across um, a bit of a, a mirror because the older brother is looking after the younger brother and I think it's Henry is the older one. He isn't as old as Joel is, but he's looking after his younger brother who is around the same age as Ellie. Um, yes. So there, there are lines of comparison that you can draw between them and you grow quite, not quite close to them because, you know... At, yeah, at I'd say point, I'd say that you do, you're, you're given a chance to build a relationship yeah. with them more so than other characters. Mm -hmm. And now when I first played this, I, I remembered this not being 
that long not being that deep but you do spend a decent amount of time with them it's about an hour and or so, you do isn't come it? yeah and you do come to like them so so what happens next does have an impact and what happens next is that we find out that sam was infected in one of the tussles that you had yeah and he turns and then henry has to shoot him and then henry not able to cope with the fact that he's just killed his younger brother kills himself in front of you and then we have another time skip yeah that's now, the do you want to take over for a bit yeah so that takes you to the end of summer and obviously a lot of questions are left unanswered how did joel and ellie continue after this what are the immediate repercussions uh, but as Dan said, there's then a time skip where we then uh, rejoin them in fall slash autumn. Um, summer is the longest chapter in the game and the, the following chapters take a lot less time to do. Um, and I find them a lot more enjoyable for that. So we rejoin Joel and Ellie as they are kind of trekking through um, some woods, like a, a forest, a, a dam kind of on the outskirts of any city and they are looking for Tommy who if you remember from earlier from the prologue is Joel's brother and they're searching for Tommy because Tommy used to run with the fireflies and Joel thinks if we can find Tommy then he can tell us where the fireflies are and I intend to give Ellie to Tommy to look after to take to the fireflies because Joel as much as Ellie and Joel's relationship has grown he still doesn't want to you know, be involved in this. Commit. Yeah. Doesn't want to commit to her. So they eventually find Tommy, who <clears throat> has set up a community in an old abandoned dam, and they've managed to sort out like hydroelectricity. So the place has power, there's food, there's a lot of people. And Joel and Tommy sit down, and Joel basically says, Look, I've bought you the cure for humanity here. Take her to the fireflies because I don't want to be involved in this. And they have a a small argument because a lot of stuff happened between Joel and Tommy in the years between the prologue and chapter one. And a raid takes place. Some raiders come to the community, um, which you have to deal with. And in the confusion, you find that Ellie has taken off with a horse and she's gone off on her own. So Joel and Tommy go after her and you find her a few miles down the road in this abandoned ranch I'd say and I think I don't know about you but the scene where you find her is possibly one of the in fact the best scene in the game when Joel goes up and he's like you've put yourself in danger you don't even realise what your life means and Ellie reveals that Tommy's wife has informed her of who Sarah was what happened and Joel kind of loses his temper with her because he, you get the impression that he never really dealt with Sarah's death properly or he dealt with it in a way that was maybe unhealthy. And you get the impression that he is losing his rag with Ellie. He doesn't want to take her any further because it perhaps means he has to deal with the fact that his own daughter died. And he basically tells her, you're not my daughter I'm certainly not your dad. And when this is done, you're out of here. I don't want anything else to do with you. But about half an hour later, he changes his mind and he commits to Ellie and he says, no, I'm going to take her forward, Tommy. You go back to 
dealing with your people will go and find the fireflies who now are apparently holed up at a university um, a few hundred miles away. So moving forward, you arrive at the university, which I think in terms of gameplay is one of my favourite areas of the game. There's a lot to explore, all of the dorms, all of the notes you can pick up from the students during the outbreak. You find that the fireflies have moved on and at the end of the chapter the university is raided again you have to get out joel's injured he falls from a balcony is stabbed by some rusted metal and the chapter ends with ellie getting joel out of the university on the horse and yeah you don't know so the chapter the chapter ends with joel ellie shooting a gun shooting a gun really near a horse's head (laughs) and the horse not even blinking at the fact that a gun has just gone off near its head. Yes, I know you weren't happy with that bit, were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the chapter ends with Joel and Ellie escaping on a horse. And Joel basically almost unable to even speak because he's bleeding out. He falls off the horse and then the chapter fades to black. And we then yeah. rejoin in winter. And you don't know what's happened in between that time. Yeah, so in winter, Ellie is trying to keep Joel alive and she's looking for some antibiotics now she when we when we meet her she's hunting and she happens to run into another person who in exchange for a deer that she has taken down with her bow offers to give her antibiotics so for maybe 45 minutes you're with this other character called David you don't really know anything about David you don't know whether to trust David yet um, as the scene goes on, he, he is helping you out. He's not done anything yet to um, to make you not trust him. And you fight off a bunch of infected with David. And then, at the very end, he turns on you. And you do manage to escape with the antibiotics. And they follow Ellie to where Joel is really heavily injured. Now, the reason they're doing this is because apparently they are part of this gang that Joel and Ellie fought in Philadelphia. The university. Uh, yeah, so was it? I think it was originally Philadelphia, though, you, you, you first meet them. Oh, yeah, maybe. The guys with the... Yeah, I think they're, they're, it's implied that they're the guys with the, um, the truck as well. Because they're quite an organised group, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, it's this this gang that you've kind of been dealing with um, that followed you to... I think that's why they followed them to the university as well, because it was the same group. Um, and then Ellie basically tries to uh, distract them and to lead them away from Joel's location and in doing so ends up getting caught. And basically there's a tent showdown Joel uh, wakes up after he's been given the antibiotics by Ellie earlier on and he makes his way to try and save her, but she saves herself, doesn't she? Yes. To be honest with you, the whole winter chapter is is very Ellie-focused, isn't it? Yeah, it's very self-contained from the rest of the story yeah. with the exception that uh, they are the gangs that they fought earlier. Uh, which is the reason for it. Now, David is a very interesting character. You do find out a little bit about him. He does seem to be a bit more than a two-dimensional character. Mm. 
but he turns out not to be a very nice character. Cannibal. And he's very, very, very cruel. And he's voiced by Nolan North of Uncharted fame. So he did the voice of Nathan Drake in Uncharted. But you will not recognise his voice. He sounds completely different. Um, it's a nice little section. And it really serves to flesh out Ellie's character because she's given a bit more time to grow. And she overcomes this kind of adversity of this horrible gang that is stalking her. And she retaliates by brutally murdering David to the point that Joel is taken aback by this. And then we end in the final chapter, which is spring. Yeah. In which we finally see Ellie taken to the Fireflies at a university in Salt Lake City. Now, this is a very short chapter, basically. Oh, yeah, so it's a hospital in Salt Lake City. And uh, basically, you arrive in Salt Lake City, you're making your way to the hospital. They do that. They run into some infected along the way. And Joel delivers Ellie to the Fireflies. Now, it turns out that, yes, the Fireflies can make a cure from using um, Ellie's blood i suppose yeah but it will end up killing her the procedure to do it because it's to do with tumors on her brain yeah yeah um now joel decides that he's not willing to accept that she has to die uh in order to save the world so what he does is basically wipes out the fireflies uh kills their leader takes ellie back and ellie asks him at the end of the game um if it's true that there are more infected, which is the reason he explains why he took her back. He said that uh, there are more people that are immune. And uh, she said, is that true? And he looks her in the eyes and he says, yes. And then they carry on. So it's a very, very, very ambiguous ending uh, with obviously a lot of weight and a lot of things unsaid between Joel and Ellie. And that's, that's basically it. That's the story. Now, the reason we focus so much time on the story, which we know we did, is because I said to Lawrence before the episode started that this game, you can basically break it down into two parts. I'd say 50% is story, 50% is the gameplay. Now, before we get to the gameplay, which we will get to, I just want to touch on the characters of Joel and Ellie. Um, Now, the character that most people seem to really like is Ellie. Uh, What are your thoughts on Ellie? Yeah, Ellie's a good character. You, you, especially if you play the DLC, um, you see a real growth within Ellie, and she's voiced really well by Ashley Johnson. And I remember at the time this game came out, everyone thought that um, she'd been voiced. What's what's the actress's name that did the the David Cage game where you um, Ellen Ellen Page? That's it, Ellen Page, um, and. Ellie is a very interesting character. You see some real growth within her. She's got a real aversion to maybe not letting people in at the start of the game, but as the game progresses, she's you basically understand what she's been through, where she's come from, and why she's so scared to let anyone in because she's been hurt so much in the past. And I really like Ellie, but I think, similar to you, Joel is... The character that I really am interested in, I guess. What What are your thoughts with Ellie? Yeah, I mean, I like Ellie. I, I really do like Ellie. I, um, I think, I just think she's quite a straightforward character. She's got an arc that we've seen a hundred times in other things. Um, she's this young girl 
who has to kill someone along the way to protect Joel. And then very quickly, she becomes a mass murderer, which I said is really jarring. Mm. Um, And before she even kills someone, she's really keen to start using guns, which shows her naivety. Uh, And then uh, obviously she she does kill someone, then becomes this uh, (laughs) mass murderer, like I said. Um, Now, the biggest moment for Ellie is when she runs into David and his group and she really changes after that now there's a really great section at the beginning of chapter four where she doesn't really speak and for the whole game joel has been the one who does not speak yet we get a complete role reversal here ellie is the one who does not speak and joel is the one who's trying to get her to speak and he it feels like a big weight's been taken off his shoulders and over the course of this year He's been able to um, come to terms with what happened to him all those years ago with his daughter. And that's a really nice bit of growth there. Um, and then obviously Ellie's taken to the Fireflies and she comes out and she's not sure what's actually gone on. But she was willing. I don't know, because she's never been given the option Um whether to because she doesn't know that her life would be in danger if she were to um if they were to make the cure from her so she was never given that option but she knows that something's happened there that she doesn't know what it is and uh she comes away i suppose willing to sacrifice herself but not really sure what the decision was i guess yeah something like that i think it's implied that she's she's told um, or maybe it's been hinted to her what it would potentially mean because Marlene, I don't think even realizes that Ellie will have to die to, you know, make the cure available. I think because the the doctor, I believe, the surgeon tells Marlene this when Joel finally delivers Ellie to them, but I think it was always perhaps potentially hinted to Ellie that maybe this will happen, but it isn't put in black and white for her until the time comes but then you have to question well did ellie agree to this which i think it's suspected that she does because after everything that happens and joel saves her she is very cagey with joel and it's like she doesn't really believe what he says happened and that there are hundreds of other people like her but yeah a lot of questions are left unanswered with ellie and i think we're probably going to get quite a lot of information on her journey and her mentality through this game when the the next game comes out in a few months, The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. And I think to Naughty Dog, they saw Ellie as the star of the show. Yeah. And the fact that they saw her as the star of the show is reiterated in the fact that she is the star of the sequel. And she's a younger character. She's got more places to go. Now, as I said to you... The reason for me enjoying this game, even when I played it in 2013, I liked Joel. And I thought, in his shoes, I think many other people would have done the same thing. Um, So, I was much more interested in the characterization of Joel. And this really occurred to me. There's a moment with Sam, who's the the, the younger brother of Henry who ends up getting infected. There's a moment where Sam and Joel are split away from Ellie and Henry. 
And before this section started, I thought, Joel can be a bit of a blunt and sometimes not very nice character. And I thought, is he going to be horrible to Sam? I thought it's well within the bounds of the game that he might be. But he wasn't. He was really nice. And what what, what we see is a character who obviously has a soft spot for children. And he's very, very... Those wounds from his daughter dying all those years earlier are still fresh. And he sees all these horrible things. He has these really interesting reactions to them. He's not necessarily a nice character. He's not necessarily a bad character either. Just and at the end, he he's to, presented. He? Yeah, he does. He does what he has to do and he wouldn't have survived otherwise. And he sees, I suppose he sees some of himself in Ellie, the, the, the fact that she is taking revenge on David in such a way that she brutally murders him. I don't know how that makes him feel. I'm guessing it doesn't make him feel very good. Um, well, you, you, you see, as the story goes on, obviously of what we said there in the sum up of the actual plot, we've mentioned the word commitment a few times and how Joel and Ellie will commit to each other as the story goes on. And I've, I think we've both watched a few videos in the, the run up to recording this podcast on The Last of Us. And you, you see very very small hints as the game proceeds that Joel's starting to see Ellie as a lot more like his daughter. And one of the big points in their relationship, and I think it's um, I think it's the Joseph Anderson video that I watched where he points out that at the end of chapter three, um, Joel bursts into this restaurant where Ellie is just on top of David with a machete and just go into town on his face. Like there's probably nothing of his face left. You don't see it. And she's in such a rage that he, you know, he goes up behind her, he pulls her off and he's like, stop, stop. And one of the things he says to her is he calls her baby girl. And that's, you don't hear him say that any other time in the game other than when he's talking to Sarah. And you don't hear him say that before that point in the game either um, with Ellie. That's the only time that you hear him call. And it, it shows that, there really is a, a, a camaraderie between them that he's now seeing Ellie as his daughter. And another thing that Joseph Anderson points out is that this moment for them is so important for their growth and for their relationship. You don't even get to hear what they're saying to each other in the aftermath of this. You, you see them talking, but the music overtakes the audio. You don't hear what they're saying because it's so massive. Um, and I think the moment where he, he comes in to Ellie just absolutely destroying David's face with the machete, I think it's a real turning point. And at that point, they are fully committed to each other, that they're there for each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Ellie is able to fill the void of losing his daughter. And at the same time, by doing that, she allows him to come to terms with what happened to his daughter. And what we get in, um, especially at the beginning of chapter four, is a very a more vocal, more jolly Joel, which is weird to say. Um, now, I just want to, I just want to, I want to talk about this decision that he has to make. Now, this is the old superhero dilemma: Do you save the many? Uh, do you sacrifice the few to save the many, mm. or do you sacrifice the many to save the important few? Now, superheroes have struggled with this since superheroes were really uh, thought up 
how can we ex- expect a character as flawed as Joel to be able to make this decision, knowing what he's been through? Surely, in this in this harsh world, surely we don't expect him to necessarily make the selfless decision. Well, I mean, what... by the end of the game, it's very clear what their relationship is. You know, it, it, it points in chapter two. Um, Tommy gives Joel a photo of Joel and Sarah from one before the outbreak. And Joel's like, no, I don't want it. Take it away. And then at the start of chapter four, Ellie says, look, I took this from from Tommy before we left. This photo's for you. And he accepts it. And he's like, you know, he's like, that, you know, some things take a long time to heal, but thank you for that. And it's like you say, it's, it's a difficult question to ask. It's the superhero dilemma. Do you save, um, do you say that one person can die to save millions? But I mean, in terms of us talking about it, I don't think it's a question that we can answer because we don't have no, children. Exactly. And I, and I don't think it's a question that we can answer because we're not in his shoes. No, of course. So it's not necessarily reasonable to judge him harshly for that. Now he's a character that's gone from needing no one, including Tess. Mm. He doesn't doesn't really have that much of a response apart from a bit of anger when she dies. But he goes to needing Ellie. The reason he saves her at the end is because he needs her. This is daughter. He can't function without her. Yeah, so he can't go through that loss again. Um, and it's it's very. I, I just think there's a lot to study with Joel. I think there's a lot to say about him. Um, and he's the thing that I find very compelling about this game. And I said to you after I completed it, I hope he at least plays a part in The Last of Us Part 2 because he is the reason that I'm interested. And this is really done beautifully by Troy Baker, who, again, doesn't sound like Troy Baker playing Joel. So he does the voice of Joel. It's and it is as well, an excellent isn't it? Prof- yeah, and it, and there's a slight look of Joel, uh, Troy Baker about Joel, but it's an excellent performance. And when this game really started to grow on me was when I started to see Joel as a character, a fully formed character, not a character in a game, well, not uh, a voice acted character. And I don't think I got to that point with Ellie, but I definitely got there with Joel. Well, well like I said, in my opinion, the the strongest scene in the entire game was when Joel catches up to Ellie after she's run off in chapter two and she, he, uh, she brings up Sarah and he, um, he says, Ellie, you're, you're treading on some mighty thin ice. And, uh, she's like, well, I've, I've lost people too. And you can just hear in Troy Baker's voice when he's acting, it's the break in his voice. It's like, you have no idea what loss is. And I mean, I compel anyone that's listening to this podcast that, hasn't played the game or doesn't know what section I'm I'm talking about to seek that scene out on YouTube because I think it's one of the best acted video game scenes of all time because it's so strong and it's so raw. And I think before The Last of Us, voice actors and you know people that played video game characters either via motion capture or capture or via voice acting they were taken seriously, but I think The Last of Us was a bit of a turning point for video games where people would say, okay, these are these are actors. 
this isn't just someone speaking into a microphone. This isn't someone just going through the motions um, and playing someone that doesn't exist. Like Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker really, really smashed it in terms of bringing these two characters to life. Uh, I, I don't know where you stand yeah. on that, but I think it's... Yeah, no, I think I, I really enjoy the performances of them. I don't, I don't know if it's... Um, I think, I think you can you can you can trace it back to the Uncharted games because yeah. that was the first time that anyone really knew a person's name that played a character, with the exception of the Metal Gear Solid games. Maybe yeah. um, Nolan North became uh, a well-known name among gamers because of his voice acting yeah, work. Right. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, that that's probably. A, a, very complex topic that we could really get into and dive into another time maybe um okay so we've talked a very very long time about story and characters i've had a good discussion about them um how about the gameplay what are your what are your um, impressions of the gameplay well like i said i hadn't played the uncharted games before i played this and i know that the last of us takes certain elements from the uncharted games and puts it in the last of us i have always been more of a fan of story-based games. I'm not a big fan of multiplayer games online, as I've said on the podcast in the past. And I'm very much a fan of third-person story games. So in terms of the gameplay, it's very much up my alley, which is probably why I enjoyed it so much the first time round. I feel that the shooting feels... You know, it's good. I wouldn't say it's super realistic, but you've got stuff like gun sway... Um, and it feels like every bullet counts in this game because it's a apocalyptic area of the USA and supplies are short. And, you know, crafting new equipment, trying to find equipment, trying to find bullets, trying to find stuff to make medical kits, it's solid. And I think overall the gameplay holds up very well. And I think it was very good for the time it came out. There are issues and I know one of them that we massively agree on is AI. But in terms of gameplay as general, I think it's pretty solid. What what, what would you say? Yeah, so gameplay really takes what Uncharted did, builds on it, and slows it down. I think that's the best description for my money of what, um, of what The Last of Us does with the gameplay from Uncharted. And... The guns are very weighty. I love weighty yeah, guns. Yeah, very games. weighty. And uh, to me, the finest game that did this was Resident Evil 4. Those guns really pack a punch. But The Last of Us does it really well as well. Um, I think you're, you're onto something with the, with the use of uh, ammunition and things like that. But I would have liked to have seen them take it further. We both said when we were playing this game, we got to the end and we had a stockpile of... And we were, I was playing on hard difficulty. Yeah. I had a stockpile of bullets. I had a stockpile of re- resources. There were things that I could no longer pick up because I couldn't... Um, I wasn't able to um, use the crafting system to craft anything because my crafting uh, items were full. So I didn't need the resources, so I couldn't pick them up. You never want to get to that point in a game. But on hard difficulty, I could. So I think they could have taken it further, made it even tougher, made it even more like a survival... I, I think adding more survival horror elements would have made this game better because I think it was at its best when it did do that. Um, it's, it's definitely enjoyable gameplay, especially at 60 frames per second. Um, it definitely has its issues, with, especially with AI. Now let's talk about this AI. Hmm. Um, 
you've got now my biggest problem with the AI is you've got at different times in the game you've got Tess with Joel you've got Ellie with Joel at yeah. one point you've got Sam and Henry with Joel so you've got Ellie as well so you've got three AI characters now the enemy characters do not see and do not hear your AI companions at all so you can be crouching down behind a bit of cover the enemies can be walking towards you your three companions can literally be running around like idiots <laughs> and the the literally right in front of the enemy ai and they won't even bat an eyelid and then you make the smallest movement and they suddenly it triggers the ai to start shooting you and the companion characters they're running around they're not attacking the uh, enemy ai so it's it's really 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 flawed in my opinion, because they, they've they really slowed down the gameplay and they from the player's perspective, it's really nice. But in terms of those companions, it needs so much work. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't make that much sense, does it? And I mean, especially with the infected, um, there's a section in chapter one where you, you meet up with Bill and you're going over to a high school to pick up some parts for a car and you have to go through a graveyard which has got about six clickers in. Now, clickers... Uh, which we haven't explained, or a type of infected in this game that have been infected for such a long time that their entire face is just gone. It just looks like fungus. And the way that they can track or see what's going on because they don't have eyes is um, the same way that a bat sees sonar. sonar. So they'll make these clicking noises and that's how they can tell if anything around them is moving. And you're going through this graveyard... And obviously you've got to be really slow because they hear the slightest bit of noise and they're coming to you and one hit from a clicker at that time of the game, it's, it's, it's game over. And you're going through slowly and you've got Bill and Ellie who are just <laughs> running around, they're bumping into the clickers and it's just like, it's, just... it's like, what? And I, I've heard an argument for Ellie because she's, because she's bitten, because she's infected, then... Maybe it's like, okay, they can sense that, you know, she, she's she's potentially one of them, if that makes sense. Right. But with the human enemies you come up against, and with Bill, and with Sam, and Henry, and Tess, I didn't run into these issues as much when you're with Tess. But the rest of them, it's just like... it. It's so difficult, because I think Naughty Dog Walk are very thin line with that because if they make it so that your ai characters can be seen and give away your location then you'll grow to resent them and you won't want them around but at the same time if they are just not noticed by the ai at all it's kind of immersion breaking so it's a very difficult call to make in terms of the devs but so i think um the bit with sam and henry is where it's worse because you've got three ai characters And it's just, it, it, it's ridiculous. But yeah, you're right. The bit with Bill and Ellie is really bad as well. And not only that, there's a, there's a part in that bit where, the, where you're walking through various gardens of like suburban yeah. America. And if you walk into, so one time um, I was trying to get the jump on some clickers and I walked into the next garden and I walked back towards the first garden and all, all the enemies are gone. Then I walked a bit closer and they suddenly spawned. And then I walked away again, they were gone. I walked back, they suddenly spawned. I thought, 
this is a game that people are saying is the best game of all time. I don't understand how something can be that flawed but can be called the best thing ever. Um, the thing is as well, and when we talk about these things, it kind of it sounds like we're nitpicking, which I think when you're talking about a game of this level, it's like you say, and like we've said pre earlier in the podcast, pe- pe- a lot of people say this is their favourite game of all time. I know a handful of people that say that to the extent where, um, do you remember that girl that I told you about in the first or second episode of the podcast that I said I went on a date with? Yeah. She, she's got a Firefly tattoo on her wrist. Like people, wow. people find this game is special. And I think us talking about the AI that isn't great or stuff that when they're out of, you know, sites, the, the, the enemy AI kind of stop existing. It sounds like we're really slagging the game off, but I think with, with this game, there's not that much that we can say, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that isn't good. Or yeah, that, that could have been better because it's so tight. And I think us focusing on these areas, it's it, it's a few of the, uh, well, areas that are very few and far between, if you know what I mean. Like there isn't too much we can criticise with this game. Do, do, you, do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I, agree I, with just, what you're I saying. just think, I just think it's a game and it does really excel in terms of storytelling. It excels, mm. it excels in terms of settings. It excels in terms of characters. It in, excels in terms of the world building. The story's better than and the gameplay. In, yeah. And it excels in terms of controlling the main character yourself. Yes. So those scenes when you're on your own, fantastic. Yeah. Don't really have a problem with them. Um, but you said about... You said about... Um, if your companions gave your position away, then it would be annoying. Yeah, you grow to resent them. But for me, that they should have been designed in such a way, more work should have been put in in terms of the AI so that they didn't give you away, so that the AI wouldn't get you caught. Uh, and if they did stand out in the open, then it's fair enough that the enemies attack because in this game, especially with the story, with the world... The immersion is everything. The atmosphere is everything. The moment you break that, it really just makes you think, oh, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Uh, imagine in a survival horror, if every two seconds the AI was messing up and it was pulling you out of the experience, you wouldn't have good things to say about it. Um, and I just think all that stuff is great, but this is a game. And gameplay is king, or it should be king. And here, gameplay is not king. And the, the frustrating thing is, it was. It seems like it was really close to being that. I think a couple of extra months, they could have ironed these things out. They could have just tweaked the AI. I bet you that The Last of Us Part 2 will have ironed those issues out. Yeah, that's what so I was So they're obviously thinking. aware of them. Um, and they've obviously heard them from many different avenues as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's something that... I just think if a game does lots of things right, and you'll hear me say this in, in future games as well with other big games, you can't just give it a pass in the areas that it falls flat. Yeah, because, because of what it is. Yeah, and the developers need to change that in future games. If we don't say it, and and and, and the excuse that Ellie's uh, infected, I just think that's a cop-out. Well, yeah, it, it, nothing's perfect, is it? And I mean... no. The- the number one rated game on this list is Ocarina of Time, and it's the top of a lot of lists. 
and a lot of people will say that you know the the game's perfect with Ocarina of Time which it isn't like we've both played Ocarina of Time and it is what it is but I think it's important to be critical of these games and you you see people like um, we've mentioned Jim Sterling on this podcast a few times do you remember when he reviewed Breath of the Wild yeah and I think he gave it a 7 out of 10 which brought down its review aggregate score slightly and yeah, from 98 to 97, and yeah. people weren't happy. People went ballistic. Like, they were so angry. And it's like you say, at the end of the day, the games. I yeah. I really like Final Fantasy VII, as we've mentioned on quite a few podcasts. But I think it's important to be, you know, very... What's the word I'm looking for? Objective, yeah, just you, to be objective. you've got to be objective. It's like I love that game, and that game is very special to me. But if when you know, hopefully, when we play that sometime, and you say, "Yeah, I didn't think this was very good," I won't be like, "Sorry, what? You didn't think that bit was good?" <laughs> you know, and, I, and 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 I think you can. There are certain things you can make a valid argument for. I just think objectively. Uh, the the AI in this game doesn't quite work. It just needed that extra bit of time in the oven, and I really I'm I said to, I said at the beginning of this when I first played this game back in 2013 I wasn't thrilled. No. I I I really was disappointed. When I played this game again recently, I really enjoyed it. I would say I really like the game now. I don't necessarily love it, but I really like the game. And off of completing it. I've pre-ordered The Last of Us 2, which is coming out on June 9th, is it? I'm not sure. The date moves around so much. With all these leaks, I've just stopped looking at stuff for The Last of Us 2 in case it gets spoiled. So I've pre-ordered it, and I'm going to play it on the day. So I'm I'm in on the series now, but I I, I just don't think you can objectively say that that is... Uh, a, f- a feature of the game that's meant to be in the game. It's a great game, but it's not your perfect, con- and there are flaws. No, sure. and, and and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, uh, not, nothing is perfect. To me, a ten out of ten score doesn't mean perfection. It means a masterpiece, which means that um, on the whole, it is that. But no, nothing is without flaws. Okay, let, let's um, let's bring it to, the, to a close because. I'm just aware of time and we do have a tendency to <laughs> to uh, over talk about things. So this game, as we mentioned earlier, is number 54 on our list. It got a score of 95 and it is many people's favorite game ever. I do understand that. Um, so uh, what 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 are your opinions of it and does it belong in this list? Uh, how well is it? How well is it playing 2020? I think it plays so on. as well in 2020 as it did in 2013 like we said at the start of the podcast i'm surprised that it came in at number 54 i thought it would be higher and i think it deserves to be higher um in terms of story i think it's up there with some of the very best games in terms of gameplay it doesn't leave much wanting there there's room for improvement as we've just been over but as well i think it's it's good and it's very hard to get the the gameplay and story right in a game because 
those two things should go hand in hand, but they don't always do refer to MGS5 for proof of that. And I think this game does deserve to be on this list. I'd say that it should be, I'd say in the top 25, in my opinion, from an objective point of view, from a personal point of view, it wouldn't be in my top 25, maybe in my top 40. But yeah, I, I think it, it's deserving of its place here and it, it should be a little bit higher. But I say that as someone who really enjoyed the game from the time it came out till now. So I'm more interested in what you what you would say of it. Um, I think maybe it would be in, it maybe it should be in the top one hundred. Um I suppose I want to see what The Last of Us Two does before I'd make that decision. Now I think the frustrating thing with this game for me was, like I said, I was really looking forward to it before release. I think it was so close to make uh, making the gameplay and the story function together. It's almost there. And I've got to give it credit for that. Uh, it is almost there. And I enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it this time. And I had a good time with it. And I'll probably play it again, which I wouldn't have done if I hadn't played it this time for the podcast. So... Uh, on the whole, my my opinions about this game have really become more positive. I, I maybe it would be in my top one hundred. Maybe again, I think I need more time for it to sit, uh, to properly gauge my opinions on it, well, uh, how it would stand. Can, can I ask? Because you said there, you want to see how The Last of Us Two pans out before you can say for definite how you feel about this game. When when I completed this game, The Last of Us Part Two wasn't even a whisper in in the wind, and on on my level, I I really didn't see the need for a second game. I kind of, with a lot of things, I I just wish that they'd leave them, and I think The Last of Us yeah. ending, I think it was ambiguous and it left a lot of questions, but I don't think that's a bad thing. And I will play Last of Us Part 2 and I'm looking forward to playing it when it does come out. I won't play it immediately, but I will play it. But it, it's we live in a time where things can't can't be left unanswered and there has to be a sequel because it's going to make all the money and it's going to be fantastic and it is going to be a good game and I know it will. But if, you, if we're going to ask you this question of do you think it would lie in the top 100 but you didn't have the knowledge that The Last of Us Part 2 was going to be a thing, what would you say? That's a good question. And I probably, my gut when I heard it was no. Mm. Because I think, what I think The Last of Us, I mean, I go back to Uncharted. Yeah. The original Uncharted doesn't play great now. It's not a great game to I play. I can't it's wait really to do combat the Uncharted heavy. Uh, and Uncharted 2 really refined that formula to be one of the highest rating get rated games of all time. And I, yeah. I really love Uncharted 2. Uh, and you, you're not a fan, I know I that. Um, but I'm really intrigued, especially with Naughty Dog. They're a really talented studio. And I'm intrigued what they'll do with Uncharted, uh, with uh, The Last of Us 2, because they know how to learn from their mistakes to refine them. I think what we're going to see with Uncharted 2 Last is part two. something more... Oh, sorry, yeah, Last of Us Part 2 is um, something more refined. I think something with broader gameplay options. Yeah. And if, if Uncharted 4 is anything to go by, which probably features a lot of the same technical aspects of The Last of Us Part 2, then I think we might be in for a treat. So, 
in isolation, probably not. But maybe it would definitely be in the top 150, let's say. Mm-hmm. But not the top 100. That's fair enough. Yeah, that, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. So, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Um, and, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how we fare with The Last of Us Part 2. Because I think... Um, not The Last of Us Part 2, Uncharted 2. Because I think <laughs> The Last of Us and Uncharted Part 2... Jesus Christ! The Last of <laughs> Us and Uncharted 2 are the only Naughty Dog games on the list, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and as we've said before, we're, we're going into Uncharted 2 in a similar way that you and me went into The Last of Us in that you really enjoy Uncharted 2. And I'd say I probably hold a bit more disdain for Uncharted 2 than you did The Last of Us walking into it. But it'll be interesting to see where we come to at the end of that podcast, seeing as they're both Naughty Dog games, but we've got ops- opposing views of them for the different entries i'd just say before you play uncharted 2 just remember it is 11 years old now i played it quite recently it's a much older game i played it, I played it quite recently. yeah but yeah it's a much older game than than uh, the last of us is though so you've kind of got to cast your mind back to how games were in oh yeah for sure for sure it's the thing that we you know we strive to do on this is be objective isn't it yeah and although i've got negative feelings on uncharted 2 i really don't like it when we get to that i'm going to try and put those opinions to one side and play it as if i'm playing it for the first time again yeah you you gotta play it fresh like i did this time i i mean i went into this this with probably quite let down negative opinions Mm. of uh the last of us but i enjoyed it sometimes you you, you surprise yourself and i surprised myself this time I think it's the perfect way to close out the episode, Indeed. really, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> right, so next week is your pick. Yes. Or next next episode is your pick. So which which is that going to be? Um, it, it, it's jumped around a few times in the past week, but we've agreed that the next game we're going to play is the indie game Braid. I don't think either of us have played before. No, you you have played it, haven't you? No, uh, I haven't played so, yeah, it. So, yeah, it's completely it. fresh to both of us which I think the last game that was fresh to both of us was Grim Fandango. And even then we'd both played that a little bit. So it'll be interesting yeah. to... Uh, and it wasn't wasn't fresh by the end. No, your favourite game, Grim Fandango. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Braid. So tune in for that one. It should be an interesting episode, especially with, um, with it being an indie game because they're so different from AAAs. So yeah. Yeah. So that'll be episode 10, I believe. Episode And after nine. that, we're going to do a... Oh, yeah. Episode, episode 10, actually, yeah. We're releasing yeah, episode, episode 10 today, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. So that'll be episode 10, after which we're going to do um, just a just a 30 to 45 minute podcast, just Mini to um, run down some of our thoughts of the first 10 games and to just have a, have a catch up and see how it's going, basically. Yes. So uh, just check that out as well when, that, when we get to that. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Continue to share, like, uh, comment, dislike, whatever. No, don't dislike <laughs> it. <laughs> just just uh, engage with with us on our various uh, either on YouTube or on the the audio indeed places which you can which you can detail. Hopefully, now. by the time this goes out, our Twitter account will be back up. We currently are without Twitter, as I was inputting the information for. Um, just bio stuff and I put in the dates that our podcast began which was in like February 2020 instead of my birth date 
and then Twitter immediately suspended our account because we're apparently under 13 years of age. <laughs> um, so we're currently waiting on Twitter to, you know, make our account live again. Um, but when that is back up, which hopefully it will be when this goes out, we are the long short of on Twitter. You can watch video forms of our podcast with gameplay on Dan's YouTube channel uh, called The Subtext. And we're on all the places you get your podcasts. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just somewhere on the internet you can find us. And again, if you if you do know us, you want to feedback or you've got some some questions or some you know games that you want us to cover that are in the top 100 list, feel free to just message us. Um, yeah. And yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to meeting again when we play Braid. Very quick editor's note, there has been a change of plan just in regards to Braid. Um, we're going to be putting that one on the back burner for a little while. So the next game that we will be covering on the podcast, I can confirm, will be Red Dead Redemption. And that's Red Dead Redemption 1, not Red Dead Redemption 2. So not Braid. Red Dead Redemption. Cool. Yep, and of course, we will see you on the next one. Very good. Cheerio. Bye-bye.